Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hello, I'm Sydney Sloan, the CMO at SalesLoft, and guest hosting today, which I'm really excited about. We have Chris Walker. Chris from Refine Labs. If you don't yet follow him on LinkedIn, that's the first thing you should do in listening to this podcast. Go go find Chris, follow him, um, and I promise you will learn something every day. Chris is the founder of Refine Labs, which is a demand accelerator firm helping B2B companies in rethinking how we go about marketing, uh, building our brands, building demand funnels, supporting the sales team in creating pipeline. And he has some new approaches and thoughts on what marketing teams should be doing. But this is the Hey Salespeople podcast. So we're going to talk a little bit about what salespeople could also be doing and some insights that might help you. So Chris, that was the formal introduction, but maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. That's not what I could find on the internet. (laughs) Thanks, Sydney. Great to be here. And hey, salespeople, great to be on this podcast and share some thoughts with you. To put it simply, I am a business person. This is the third company that I started. I've built two e-commerce companies before that, mainly to learn. Um, and I've worked at several profitable large companies as well as venture-funded companies in operations, product, marketing. I haven't worked specifically in a finance department, but I run finance at my company right now. And I also do uh, quite a bit of sales. And so, um, and what I've learned over the past five years and why I've moved further and further into what more, most people will bucket into marketing is because it's the most effective way to get anything done in business today. And so helping people as I've continued to go about this journey and think about how I grow my company from zero people to more than 60 people in two and a half years, um, not through selling, not through traditional, like how people would normally go to market and sell, but by having a strong narrative, a uniquely differentiated product, and then communicating that to the market in a way that's effective, which leads people to basically sell themselves. Um, And so would love to go a little bit deeper on that. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. What you missed, because this is a audio only podcast, was where Chris put his fingers in air quotes when he said marketing, uh, which is pretty funny because sometimes I think sellers, you know, think of, of marketing in one way. We marketers think of themselves in one way. But really, I think at the end of the day, we're all just trying to find ways to build our awareness for who we are, what we stand for, if that's the company you represent, if that's you personally. We'll look into that. We have a couple of standard questions in Hey Salespeople podcast. And the first is, and a favorite of mine is, what are some of the favorite books or podcasts that you are currently listening to that gives you inspiration? Um, so from a book standpoint, I actually haven't opened a book in a, in a little while. But my, um, my overall favorite is a book called Mastery by Robert Greene. Highly recommended. Yeah, I love that one. Um, in terms of podcasts, I spend a lot of time creating my own podcast, doing four to six episodes a week, and then re-listening to my podcast as if it's game film to realize, hey, I could have said that differently, or I could have when someone asked me that question, I would have answered it this way if I had another chance. And so I think about, I re-listen to my podcast to, to clarify my message and work on how to get better. In terms of other people's podcasts, I mainly listen to music, not business, not business podcasts. Awesome. I've been listening to Dak Shepard. And I, it's funny now that when, when you host podcasts, you, you listen a little bit differently and the mm-hmm. different styles that people have. Uh, but I get it. And refining your own, uh, your own craft as well. Last question. You actually are in sales. You are the 
founder and, and chief sales officer, as well as the, the founding executive of Refine Labs. But take us back. What was their first sales job? So back in the day, uh, this is probably 2006, 2007 now, I worked on an apple farm. I was the per- the apple specialist. And so when people came in, they needed to figure out how, what to make an apple pie or to make apple cider or to do those. I had to know which of the 35 apples to recommend that we, that we made there. So that was my first gig in consultative selling for like you know, $3 a pound apples. And what's your favorite apple now after that experience? The honey crisp is the best apple. I'm a Fuji girl. Our Granny Smith, nothing like a turkey no, pie. Gonna no. say. <laughs> As we go into fall, it uh, feels good. So let's kick it off. You, so you said at the very beginning, you know, looking at how do you how do you build your own brand as a way of putting yourself out there. I mean, there's many places we can do that now: uh, LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram. Um, ideally doing it where your customers are if, if you're doing it for work. So as, as you are advising or as you think about sales people out there that ultimately have to generate their own business, not everything comes from their SDR team or from the marketing team. They, they're on the hook for generating their own business as well. So what what would a, maybe you've got two or three years under your belt in sales, you're not brand, brand new, but you're looking to build your brand in your field. Yeah. So let's talk through it in two different ways because there, there's a difference between building your brand in your field and working to do that to exceed quota. And there's a, it's actually two, two very different things. And so um, if you're looking to have people know more about you that are relevant, that you could potentially do business with, or that they could offer you potential career opportunities, or that you could get any, anything like that, the first step is that people know that you exist and know that you have skills that might be valuable to them. And so the best way that I found to uh, accomplish that at scale is to demonstrate your expertise in places that people are. Um, I use video. I find that video is the most effective on LinkedIn, even though the metrics will tell you that it's not. It is. Um, And so I highly recommend video if you feel comfortable communicating there by basically communicating your expertise on the things that people can take and be actionable and take away and go and do something with that add value. Um, so part of that would be clarifying your message. What are you trying to communicate? Who are you communicating it with? Why is it going to be valuable to them? You know, some of the things that I see as common mishaps is talking about what you wish people wanted to know, not what they actually want to know. And so there's a potential there for for salespeople to be aware that that could be a path that people slide into pretty pretty recently. And now, if I was doing this to go and actually drive revenue, um, the only way that this would work because of the way that attribution set up in B2B companies is in a named account strategy. And so let's assume that you're in a named account strategy and you got 100 or 200 accounts in your territory. I would be spending 30 minutes to an hour trying to build my connection list of all the people that work inside of those companies and not just the CMO or the CISO or whoever you're targeting. Like, a lot of the value happens when the manager level employees buy into those things and then share your content inside of Slack to directors and VPs and CMOs, which is exactly what happens with my content. And so being able to connect with them, which then allows them to be in the stream of your expertise being demonstrated. So not so that you can like three of their posts and slide into their DM with a sales pitch, but so that they have the ability and they're in the in the stream to see your content that you're publishing ideally like once a day, once every couple of days, so that they can they can see it. 
And as you work through that, you can build relationships, you can comment on their posts, you can understand, and then you you have a foundation to build off of when you're actually going to go and try and move into an account like that. So let's break that down and get a little bit tactical for a second. When you talk about your named account list, basically, step one is going to LinkedIn Sales Navigator and start following those Actually not. So the the ideal is inside of the feed. It's challenging when you're segmenting by companies. And so I'll walk through two different strategies that I've used as I think through it. Sydney, you're probably right. Sales Navigator would be the only way to do this. But I'll tell you why, in my view, it's suboptimal to do it that way. Because I've tested both of these. And so when you're using Sales Navigator, you're, you are typically... Well, you don't have any filter to know whether or not those people use the platform every day. And so you could be connecting with a bunch of people that log into LinkedIn once a month or once every two years when they're looking for a new job. And that adds no value if you're doing this for a content strategy. On the other side, what I recommended, but I realized that it probably wouldn't work in this instance in a named account strategy is to connect with people that are relevant, that are engaging in the feed. And so that way you'd be going by job title or like headline, which wouldn't match the named account strategy, but you'd build your audience with a more engaged audience that way. And so... As I think through it, there's probably a blend of those two. But yeah, I'm, I was going to say yeah. both. Yeah, so it's you, a, you it's can a get both. the coverage across the accounts, so you're actually using it as research on what's happening in those accounts, so you can start to have relevant conversations potentially because you're watching what the news is coming from those accounts, or if there are changes um, in leadership, which is always a good way to to enter into an uh, account opportunity. But then what you're saying is start looking at their feeds and engaging in their feeds. And by the way, that's another learning opportunity. If you're trying to build your pitch, if you're trying to craft relevant messages, you have to speak in the way the customer is speaking. Mm -hmm. And and so also think of it as research. Like if you read something that's really interesting, write it down in your inspiration notes as you're going to craft your next like outbound message. Because if you think that's smart, other people might think it is too. Uh, and it's funny, sometimes when I take other people's content and add to it, the engagement goes way up just, just because I've sourced something smart that someone else said. The other part of that, which I think is really important and is around your comment around the use of video. Mm. And I think holistically the use of video as a new communication mechanism. And I think millennials are more adapt to doing this, but everybody just needs to get on the bandwagon and get comfortable with video. The reasons that you know I think about, and Chris, I'd love to have some more examples from you, is you're actually making a personal connection. When you are using video, and I love that LinkedIn has video now, Slack even has video now, you know, that you can you can communicate using a different method that introduces you as a human being, not somebody on the other end of a bland email. So as you're thinking about video and video content and how you curate content, what would be some recommendations that you would make to people that are starting to use video? So first off, I'd like to just walk back to how I moved into video. So I was using LinkedIn in 2019, uh, mainly posting text posts, which most people do because the algorithm, from a metric standpoint, rewards text posts in a way that doesn't have a perceived reward for video. So I was running text posts. And what happened is that people started to copy and plagiarize my text posts. And so I would wake up, I would post something one day, and then I'd wake up the next day and somebody in the UK, I'd see their post that was a direct copy and paste of my post. Um, And that was actually the reason that I started moving to video. It's like, you can't fake this. Um, And so I moved to video in about August of 2019, and it would um, literally change my life. 
Um, and so that was a, a really good move. Since then, we've gone, like I mentioned, from I think it was one employee at that point to now over 60. So the reason that video works is a couple of different things. One, I forget what the actual term is, but there's a connection term where people start to feel like they know you when they see you in video versus um, versus text. And so when I'm moving into a first call with a CMO and the CMO says, wow, it feels like I know you already, like that's a good way to start a sales conversation. Um, and the same thing can happen at an AE level. You produce content for your market. People know you when they enter calls, they know who you are. It's a really good strategy. It's gonna help your win rates and your overall like, quality of conversations. The second phenomenon is that people wanna consume content mainly asynchronously. Um, which is a lot of the things that we're talking about here. And so as opposed to needing to be on to see a LinkedIn live and be there at the exact time to consume it, people want to be able to consume it on their own time, which is where you get into like the video messages. Looms have been working really well for us, mainly in customer success. Content that gets published on LinkedIn for video would be asynchronous consumption as well. We absolutely see that. Um, and we use Vidyard as well to be able to to record. What I also love is not just in the prospecting, but making sure that from the buying process using video. And what's awesome is when you're using uh, conversation tools where you actually have snippets of the customers saying things that you incorporate back into your communications, and then they can share that. And what we see is when you incorporate video into the communication, it has a much higher share rate. And you can start to capture that as engagement in that buying process as another indicator of your the health of your of your deal. So I mean I think the message here is yes video early stage mid funnel stage late stage customer service customer. like I think it's a, it's a new medium for communication that's super effective. Coming back to what sellers can do to create their own opportunities. We talked you talked about you know getting involved and in, and in being more engaged on on social channels. Mm-hmm. When it comes to understanding kind of metrics and working with marketing, you advise a lot of different companies on on their different marketing strategies and have some opinions on how to incorporate the SDRs into the pipeline effort. So maybe share a little bit for people that manage SDRs or maybe folks that are SDRs listening. You know, how, how do you think about the most effective use of SDRs as part of the pipeline creation experience. Yeah, totally. And so I want to make sure that I set some context here because this is the way that I see it as a fundamental shift in go-to-market, not like just a a change of how you use SDRs. We need to look at this holistically in order to really understand it. And so my view is that at this point, the inbound SDR is no longer necessary. If you have good qualification criteria, firmographically qualified accounts with high intent that convert to pipeline at 40, 50, 70, 80%, then you don't need the SDR layer to follow up. Just have them book a meeting, have the buyer book a meeting with DAE and let them move through their sales process. It completely eliminates that step of friction. It increases your win rates and increases your conversion rate to first meeting. So I'm pretty clear on that one, as long as you're not driving a bunch of garbage into your, into your demo fund. Um, which a lot of companies like to do. So you'd have to cut that out before your sales reps are going to get pissed because they have low quality meetings on their calendar that no show. So that you got to make sure that the conversion rates are high before you make that change. And then if you were able to do that, then that would mean that your SDR resources are mainly focused on whether it's content creation, outbound, some form of business development, then you have a difference. You have this pool of resources. And then when I get there, I think we have all of these resources. Are they, is this the right type of resource? 
Would it be better if we had a different hiring profile? How could we think differently about their activities? How should they be measured? Like, right? Like we've been measuring SDRs like the same way since 2005. We've been hiring the same types of SDRs the same way for at least the past 10 years. Do buyers need something different? I have that conversation. I think about that with companies a lot. And so if you thought about that change in more detail, maybe the SDR was way more like a solutions consultant that's publishing content, that's building relationships, that's part of communities, that's adding value, that's hosting events, like involved in the market and not so focused on like high volume, let's book meetings with people. Um, there's probably a blend. You could maybe break that into two, two types of resources and teams, both focused on business development. But that's like, that's the short answer of how I would see that evolving. The first step is detaching from low quality, high volume inbound SDRs. I talk about making sure that every interaction adds value to the recipient. And now that, and we know, you know, this number has been going up and up and up that, you know, the ability for customers to research what they're selling before they actually want to talk to somebody, I think has gone from 50 to maybe 65 in the last five years. It Um, should be a hundred if companies would publish their pricing, put it, put a demo of their product (laughs) on their website. It could be, you could, your buyers could be done before they talk to your rep. They wouldn't even need them. Um, And there's a whole other conversation. But where I was going was I'm aligned with you on how do you think about your SDR team as product specialists? What do they know that can help the buyer be inspired, learn something, move them on in their journey that they couldn't have learned already. And so that changes the way that you think about hiring and training and the profile. Um, I've worked in companies where I had very technical buyers who were selling to developers. They didn't want to talk to a business school you know, SDR. They wanted someone to geek out with and talk about that line of code. And so how did we balance getting like expertise into the equation where potential customers could you know, go geek out. We'd, we'd create like developer hours and things like that and just change the way that we were thinking about engaging prospective buyers. How'd you manage um, the metrics? Let's switch this interview around. I'm interested. It's not call volume. It's not meeting set. Like how'd you work through that? So we changed our metrics in that model where uh, it used to be that our SDRs followed up on every download. So we had a free trial. And so they would follow up on the download. And instead of Having SDRs follow up on that, we built a process where we invited them to the those hours and we were looking for engagement in accounts. So our SDRs wouldn't engage until we had five prospects from a company engaged. And what was great about that is that they could use the names of the people from those accounts. Because then you knew that there was more than just one person being interested. There was a team evaluating and that's what the trigger was in order for people to start engaging. As soon as we had five developers from a particular account, then we'd say, oh, John and Sally and Rebecca, you know, and use their names in the outbound and connect them in. And then it started a conversation versus just a a bland, thank you for downloading our trial. Can I, you know, do you have any questions? Mm -hmm. That worked well and really transformed like who we were engaging with, uh, the conversion rates, et cetera, versus a bunch of leads coming in. The real key for me has been people that have done your buyer's job before which is just a significantly different hiring profile than what most companies use right now. In order to do that, you have, like I mentioned, you have to fundamentally change everything. You have to change the metrics, you have to change the activities, you have to change the strat- the go-to-market strategy. We can turn that on the sellers that are listening right now. And, and really, what interests you? When you think about what you like to sell, it matters, right? When you, when you care mm-hmm. about what you sell, you actually are interested in it. And then it's not a job. Like it's, it's actually something that, that you look to that 
That's how I evaluate. Yeah, that's how I evaluate companies that I work for. Am I proud to represent this product? So if you're really passionate about a technology area, then go learn about it. Go get certified, you know, become a Salesforce certified admin or or these things where you then have that credibility. It's a fantastic piece of advice, Chris. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Go do that. And then you're even more qualified for the role and, and you can serve customers better at the end of the day. Let's leave it with a really good like parting thought. So we've talked about you know, how to get engaged on social, how to educate yourself, align to product areas that interest you so you can be an advisor versus just a qualifier. You know, let's throw Bant out the window, please. And maybe talk about a story, Chris, that that inspired you. Like you've talked about starting companies and and in big companies and, and you you've used that as a learning process. So go back to your story and and what was what was it that created your inspiration for the journey that you've been on? Like, how would you advise somebody that's like, I'm not, I'm not happy doing what I'm doing, and I want to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I want to get into sales. There's been some different kind of like inflection points in my career overall, but I think the general theme is that a lot of people have doubted my approach and my skills which has been motivating for me and has been something that people told me that what I'm doing right now, when we had zero employees and it was just me, that what I'm doing would never work. People still tell me that, you know, when I was doing what I was doing for other, for companies before I started my company and no companies would hire me because I wasn't pitching a lead gen model and people, you know, a company that I was more well qualified to work for wouldn't hire me because they wanted to run an MQL machine. Some of those things were highly motivating to me. And so for this, the, the way that you connect that back to sales is that the world of sales, in my view, is basically stagnant, especially SaaS tech sales, right? You're adding more tech, but it's basically the exact same process with the exact same profile. What can you do as a seller to see the future, see where it's going in two or three years and build the skills necessary to really propel your career, to be able to have the couple of things? It's, it might be video. It might be industry expert, industry buyer expertise. So not jumping around different industries, but really picking. These are the types of buyers I want to sell to, or this is the type of software that I want to sell to. So that you really, really understand it in two or three years. You're in President's Club. You're the top AE for that for those couple of reasons that you made a couple of big bets that were obvious, right? Those those couple of things, video and having industry expertise right now were totally obvious. Um, and so whatever those things are for you, and then working to build them so that they come to fruition in the future, right? Like I didn't, my company didn't pop out of the ground over the past two and a half years. It took a lot of, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of people saying me saying that it wasn't going to work, that I should pivot off of LinkedIn and start cold calling people. That's what I'd leave with salespeople. Try and look, uh, listen to your buyers, which will tell you where the future is going and then start to build the skills that you need. Fantastic. And maybe create a club, folks like you, right? That you can, so you don't feel like you're all alone, but you, you're networking with other people that are also seeing it and you're able to kind of vibe off each other and, and ultimately coach each other in the right place. Cause I think I a hundred percent agree that this world is changed. Something new is going to emerge and you might as well be in the right place when that happens or leading the change to that new place. Cause that opportunity is right in front of us. Chris Walker, this went too quick. I was looking forward to it. Um, glad so much to have you on the Hey Salespeople podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode, takes something away, takes action, um, and gets inspired. Again, thank you, Chris. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 
Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.